Thank you guys for being here. If you guys don't know me, my name is Gabe. I'm a pastoral intern here. And here in In Transit, we've been going through 1 Thessalonians. And so why don't you guys take your Bibles and let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 7 to 12. As we get started here, let me go in. Uh, let me go and just say a quick prayer for us one more time, and then, um, and then we'll, we'll dive into our message. Let me pray. Father, I just ask for your grace to befall upon this room. That Lord, we will come with open hearts, open eyes, to to read your word, to study it, and to allow you to speak to us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we can come meet you. You have to hear what you have to say to us. So speak to us tonight. Pray this in your name. Amen. One of the biggest news going on in the sports world right now is this cheating scandal in Major League Baseball. If you guys don't know anything about it, pretty much the Major League Baseball, MLB, investigated the Houston Astros, and caught them cheating for the past several years, particularly during 2017 when they won the championship, sadly, over the Los Angeles Dodgers. <coughs> Broke my heart. And there's a, there's a bunch of responses to this cheating scandal. Pretty much many people asking the league to take away the championship from the Houston Astros. That 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 trophy now is now tainted. It's void. And, and the Astros now are just seen as cheaters. Their, their image is tarnished. And that trophy, that trophy is no longer what it stands for. You see, winning, winning a championship is important for many, for many athletes. It's, it's important for their legacy. But how they win the trophy, how they win the championship is just as important. All right, you guys, you guys follow any guys' sports? Uh, Lance Armstrong was a really well-regarded cyclist. He won many, he won many races, right? And then they found out he was doping on steroids, and 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 they took away all his medals. His legacy was tainted. And there's something about how we do things that's so vastly important. I mean, there's one reason why Kobe Bryant is so revered, right? It's because he, he worked so hard. He worked so hard, and, and they consider the way his work had to be pure, to be one that's, that, that just, you cannot, you cannot question it. He didn't cut corners. He always put in maximum effort, and he'll always be remembered for that. The way we approach our lives, especially as Christians, the way we approach our lives should be no different. We are commanded to proclaim the gospel to the nations, right? That's the great commission given to us. But we have to remember that it's not just simply proclaiming it. How we proclaim it, how we do it, is just as important. How we live our lives as Christians says just as much about the gospel. And that's what Paul is trying to get to here in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
here in this section, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we've been, we, we started it last time we were together. And Paul is in the midst of defending his ministry. Like there were people in Thessalonica, enemies of his, saying they, they're, they're pretty much questioning his character. Right? They're, they're saying that he is not worthy of the measures he's giving to you guys. He's a cheat. He's looking for your money. He's looking for fame. He's only out for himself. And they question his character. They question his, his message. They question his labor. And Paul here is saying, no, look, church, look. Look at how I presented the gospel to you. Look at how much I worked and labor for the gospel to you. Now, Paul, Paul wasn't a perfect man. Sometimes we can think of the Apostle Paul as this, you know, guy who can't do no wrong. He wasn't a perfect man. He'll be the first one to tell you that he's the chief of sinners. But Paul sure did what he could under the power of the Spirit to live a pure and devoted testimony for Jesus Christ. He wanted his boasts to truly be only in Christ Jesus. And in the midst of Paul's defense here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul equates himself as a spiritual parent to the Thessalonians. And this is the kind of relationship that Paul had with his people. He, he cared for them. He loved them. He discipled them the way a parent would to their own children. And in our passage tonight, verse 7 through 12, we will find two models, two models of spiritual parenthood that will exemplify this type of Christian behavior, a Christian behavior that we too ought to imitate. So let me go ahead and read the passage for us. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in the manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The first model we'll find here is a selfless model of a, of a mother. A selfless model of a mother. And here there are three characteristics that I want to bring out. The first one is the tender heart of a mother. Paul begins in verse 6 saying that instead of seeking for his own glory, he instead is tenderly, gently serving the Thessalonians. He cared for them day and night. Paul here compares his ministry, his ministry to a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, the family image here, Paul uses this many times. Right? He, he, he tends to use this imagery um, with different churches. He, he treats the churches as if they were his own children. Right? This, is, this is not uncommon amongst the apostles. For instance, in Galatians, 
Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul compares his anguish for the Galatians to the pains of childbirth. Now, I mean, Paul didn't go through childbirth. He doesn't know what it feels like. And so, you know, don't, don't cry out injustice. But Paul here just knew childbirth was painful. And, and so here he, he just compares his, his desire, his burden for the church in the same way. Right? We find here an imagery, an imagery of a mother to her child. And, and we see here this trust amongst the two, right? A trust between a, a child who's, who's feeding upon his mother, trusting her, trusting her to take care of him. This here is a metaphor for a spiritual leader, a spiritual leader like Paul, whom the church can trust. Right? They, they want to know that this spiritual leader is someone who would truly care about them, someone who's not selfish, someone who would sacrifice their lives to make sure his, his church, his flock is being well taken care of. There is a deep emotional bond between the two. And so Paul here is just describing how he truly feels about the Thessalonians. He says here in verse 8, he uses the phrase, being affectionately desirous of you. It's a, it's a mouthful right there, right? The, 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 the word there in the Greek is it's a rare one. It's only found here. It's only found here in our Bibles. So outside of Bibles, the, the term, the, the, the Greek term is, is only found in the context of a funeral where the parent is mourning over their lost child and longs for them. That's the type of emotion that Paul here is describing his heart for the Thessalonian, Thessalonians. He cares and loves the Thessalonians deeply. And so because of all this, Paul is willing to open up his life to them. And here we see then a devoted heart, a heart that, that says, I'm willing to share my life with you. Right? In verse 8, Paul says that we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves. In NSB, he says, we were well pleased to impart to you our lives. This is not just an inward thought process. Paul is just not saying, hey guys, I'm an open book. Ask me any questions. He's not holding a Q&A time for 24 hours. Paul here, Paul and his team decided to commit themselves to the Thessalonians. He devoted himself to them. This was an act of will. It wasn't passive. It was active. Paul took the initiative to share his entire life to the Thessalonians. How many of you, how many of you tend to wait for others to approach you first before you are willing to share your life with them? Now, as we're, as we're reading this passage here, we, we're tempted to think, you know, we look at the mother, we look at the child, and it's like this peaceful, wonderful picture, Right? And the love between a mother and child is, is one that, you know, we, we see this tender care between the two. 
you know, and, and many times our images can, can flash to, you know, those, those Facebook pictures or those Instagram pages where we have, you know, mothers constantly posting pictures of their child, you know, at, you know, at one month, at two months, at six months, and I don't know when it ends, you know, and they just and keep posting pictures, and, and the pictures are, they're wonderful, they're, they're, they're cute to look at, there's lots of light, there's hopefully a lot of smiling, and, and, and we think of that. But you talk to any of our young married couples with kids, talk to any of the mothers there, and we know the realities of motherhood consists of hardships, sleepless nights, tired eyes, and a weary soul. Right? See, Paul here, he, he's describing this joy, but he's also describing his pain. His pain for the church. He opens up his life to Thessalonians, not just for the happy moments, but also for the hard ones. Paul here gives his all to his church, his time, his energy, his health, his heart, his emotions. And he, and he lays out his life for them, for the joy and the pain that comes with it. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul describes himself this way. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. You see, in other words, the pain that Paul feels for his church is worth the joy. It's worth the joy of seeing his children, his spiritual children mature in their faith. And yet we're honest with ourselves. It is this pain. It is this pain that tends to scare us. Right? It tends to scare us from really serving one another selflessly. It's, and I'm not just talking about the pain of hard work. I think... Most of us here, we, we work hard. We, we know what it takes to, to exceed, you know, in school, in our careers. And, and we, we work hard, you know, to work tirelessly through the night for, to, to complete a project, to, to get that grade, to get the job promotion, to even just serve other people. We understand that. We, I, I, I don't doubt we know what it takes to really grit and grind our way through. What I'm talking about here is that there's, there's emotional pain that sometimes we become very afraid of. An emotional pain of enduring and bearing the burdens of other people. Afraid of being hurt by them. Right? Uh, when we take the time to listen to people, especially when they're broken people, especially when they're, they're mourning over something and, and they lost something precious to them and when we, we were trying to cry with them, we're praying with them, but in the midst of it all, we just don't know how to help them. And sometimes we become afraid of that. Right? We become afraid to even admit our own weaknesses before them. To, to, to admit how, how afraid we are as well of life. That when, we, that when we hear these people and their burdens, we, we're scared to tell them we don't know what to do either. Other times we're afraid to bear people's burdens because they're in sin. And no matter how many times we try to tell them, you know, just, just come on, let's, let's just live life for Christ. And yet they continue to hurt you because they continue to, to walk down a different path. It's hard to carry that burden, right? Especially if it's a sin that's committed against you. 
And it's in those times, it's in those times when we need to, we really need to hold up our human weakness to God. Both our weakness and the person we're, we're ministering to hold up their weaknesses to God and say, we need you, Lord. We need you. You see, that's what gospel ministry is all about. It's not about how much we can help them, but it's how much we can point all things to Christ. And that's the point here, that we here just that we here should be like Paul to give our lives for others. Now, when I say this, I want to keep in mind that you know, I'm not saying we should open up our lives as an invitation to rave about our weaknesses and brokenness, you know, as if you know, we're some kind of special case. And, and we all know people who tend to sound like that, right? You know, sometimes we can take our failures and we can hold them up and hold them up like trophies and we boast about our failures, and we hear it all the time. We, we hear it sometimes in testimonies, right? We, we talk about how we went through all this and, and all the lessons, you know, we tend to learn, all the things that we tend to grow from in our experiences. And many times, while there's good intention behind that testimony, you tend to not hear about how God is working. Opening up our lives for the gospel does indeed involve admitting our weaknesses, but it involves admitting our weaknesses in light of the power of Christ in our lives. As Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that in his weakness, the power of Christ is made perfect. Our weaknesses must boast of the power of Christ. So when Paul here gives his life for the Thessalonians and they saw his labor, they saw his pain, they saw how much he cared for them, he did it all for the sake of showing them the power of Christ in the gospel. He wanted his spiritual children to come to know not him, not how he handled it all, but how Christ took care of him. How do you live your life? Paul, Paul would do everything for the gospel. And so what we'll see next then is that Paul has this heart, this tireless heart, where he took every measure to present Christ purely and without any strings attached to it. Look with me at verse 9. Paul says here, he talks about our labor and our toil. And he says, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul, Paul here is saying that, you know, he, he worked. He worked for, he worked a day job. He worked a day job to support himself. He didn't want to ask for any financial support from them. He didn't want to burden them. He didn't want to say, hey, you know, I'm, I, I need some help here to, in order to keep ministering to you. He didn't want to be like other, the other philosophers and orators in that city where they were there for selfish gain. He wanted to show the Thessalonians that the gospel he preached to them was free. No strings attached. And so they worked. And while they worked, they proclaimed the gospel of God. Now, most commentators, 
when agreed that Paul's trade here was that of a tent maker. And, uh, you know, I, growing up, I hear the word tent maker all the time used, you know, in a missionary term, people who work and do ministry at all times. I had no idea tent maker is actually a real trade, that you actually make tents out of it. Paul here was a maker of tents. He made tents out of, I think it was like leather, right? Animal skin. And, and, and this wasn't a quick and easy job. This took all day to do. Right? It was tiring. It took a lot of energy. But yet, here it says, Paul worked night and day while proclaiming the gospel of God. What, what that means is that he most likely preached the gospel, ministered to the church in his workplace. Paul, in other words, was just like all of you. He worked. He worked in the marketplace. And yet, he worked in the marketplace as a Christian, as an ambassador for the gospel. My friends, how do you guys view your own careers? How do you guys look upon your own jobs? How do you integrate your own faith at your workplace? You see, when we, when we read stuff like this in the Bible, we, we tend to think they're just reserved for missionaries. You know, missionaries, they tend to enter and live in a foreign country. And, and because they're in a foreign country, they have to work um, in order to get that working visa or just to even survive in that country. And while they work, they, they still go off and share the gospel. They plant a church. But guys, I want us to, to think carefully about who we are here on earth. Do you guys realize that we are all missionaries in a foreign world? That when we are saved, our citizenship now belongs in heaven. And that that is our home in heaven. Therefore, our time on earth is temporary. That all our jobs should look, should look like missionary jobs. Our jobs are like working visas. We have them to get by so we can get by in this world, so we can integrate with this world's culture, so we can build relationships, all for the sake of gaining the platform to share the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that we should give up our career pursuits. You know, it's good to have desires. It's good to say, you know, I want to become an engineer. I want to become a nurse. I want to become, I don't know, a homemaker, whatever the career is that, that you're pursuing. But, but the things we should be asking, why? Why are you pursuing that? And how does then that, that fit within the bigger question? How does that fit within your Christian life? And it's here where this mutter imagery is just as important. Imagine a single mother working hard, trying to earn as much money as she can, not because she has selfish reasons, but because she needs to for her children. It's a selfless labor, and she works hard at it for the sake of other people. In this case, for the sake of her children. In the same way, what is your attitude when you're working? Do your coworkers look upon your work and say that you are indeed selfless in how you approach your work? That you do things for the good of the team and not just for yourself? 
Does your manager look upon you as someone they can trust completely because they know that you're not seeking your own gain? Can your clients say that you're someone who seeks their interests and not your own? We aren't selfless for our own image. That tends to turn selfless acts into selfish ones. We, we do this. We do this, so that when we, we do this so that when you tell your coworkers that you went to church on Sunday, they're not surprised. In fact, it just makes the gospel more real to them. Because they see your life. They see how selfless you are. And it presents an opportunity for you to share about Christ to them because they trust you. They trust you. They see your life and they trust you that you do indeed care for them. That you're not here just to seek your own gain. That we have the interests of others in our minds so that they may come to faith and be saved and come worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you like a mother who works selflessly for her children? Paul here describes himself that way. It's imagery for him to express his tenderness, his devotion, his selflessness towards the church. And it's a model that we should strive to imitate as well. And then Paul switches the metaphor to the other parent, to the role of the father. And here we have the exemplary model of a father. The responsibility of a father is one who gives moral instruction to his children. And so here, Paul, being a spiritual father, instructs the Thessalonians to live a life worthy of God. It's like a father playing catch with his son. It's teaching, practicing, doing life together. And it's about being a spiritual role model for the church. Now, this isn't to say that mothers are one way and fathers the other. It's simply to say that when we care for people, it's like parenting as a whole. It involves both tender love and wise instructions. And again here, I want to point out three different ways that Paul is like a spiritual father to the Thessalonians. First, we see his irreproachable behavior, meaning that Paul is above reproach. He's above reproach. He's faultless. Paul here, verse 10, he points to the Thessalonians and to God as his witnesses. To the Thessalonians, he he says, look upon his outward conduct of holiness. He did nothing externally that would cast any doubts about his intentions. And with God, he, he calls upon God to look upon the eternal, his heart. Paul's conscience was clear and righteous before God as well. And, and therefore, because he sees himself here, he knows as with Thessalonians being his witness, God being his witness well, how holy, how righteous, and then how blameless he was towards them. And as he lived his life in a holy and righteous way, and as he lived his life in a blameless way, without any misconduct, Paul here also exhorted and encouraged them. And we see here then the uplifting behavior. Right? In verse 12, we have the verbs exhort and encourage. 
And these two words appear many times in Paul's letters. And always these words appear in the context of Paul saying, of Paul giving some moral instructions to the church. Right? So it always comes in the context of moral instructions. And yet in these words, Paul has a tone of comfort and hope. Paul here was not being a drill sergeant. Though sometimes he had to be with other churches. In this case, he wasn't. Instead, he was fatherly. He was stern but gentle. Disciplined but encouraging. Paul here taught by example. He did it with genuine care for his spiritual children. Again, this isn't to say that Paul is perfect. No, he... It's more to say, despite his personal sins, despite his weaknesses, Paul internally and externally strived, strived to make the gospel known. His faith was not based on his works. Instead, Paul found a strength in Christ alone to carry on through hardship because of his belief in God's goodness. What this means is that Paul faced temptations like all of us. I know that you know, Paul is known to be single, but he still faced sexual temptations. He still, the culture there invited that to all people. Paul still faced the temptation of greed and pride. He faced the temptation to give up. But guys, that's, that's what makes ministry hard, isn't it? It's the temptations. That's what makes it difficult. The gospel causes us to labor for Christ, to live righteously in the midst of an unrighteous world, and we know how hard that is. It means we try to live a faithful life before others. It means we try to represent Christ before the world. But what it also means is that in our private times before God, We're crying. We're crying for Him. We're crying for His grace. We're crying for strength. Again, the father imagery fits so well here. Imagine a father leading his children by demonstrating strength, wisdom, and action. He he works hard to set a good example for his children. But imagine after a long day of work, after finally getting the kids to bed, kissing his wife goodnight, he goes off to his own corner and he lets out all the tears he held in all day. And he cries out to God. See, that's the type of labor Paul had for Thessalonians. The point here is that we shouldn't let our weaknesses, let our fears become an excuse to neglect our obligations. Let's not let them become excuses. Let's not let our weaknesses tempt us to fall into sin and taint the gospel message. And you know how we do fall? It's when we start focusing a lot upon our weaknesses. When we start focusing upon our weaknesses is not enough, not enough focus upon Christ, that's when we fall. 
That's why Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us that when we're running this race, we need our eyes fixed upon Christ, not upon our weaknesses. Christ is the author and finisher of our salvation. And so we get here then, a picture of Father, eyes fixed upon Christ as he continues to lead his children in all his weaknesses and sin. And despite all that, he's trying to just simply portray the gospel. But as Paul here continues to encourage the Thessalonians, he, he encouraged them not just so they can feel good about themselves, he encouraged them so, they, so that he can urge them to walk in a manner worthy of God. What we see here is an instructing behavior. Paul here taught them, instructed them, gave them wisdom. This is... Similar to what we see in Proverbs, right? In the first two, three chapters of Proverbs, it's King Solomon telling his son, hold on to my instructions. Let them be sealed upon your heart so that you can walk a righteous path. And Paul's exhortation here is to walk. That means we need to actually get up and do something. We don't become faithful Christians simply just by reading blogs all the time or, you know, just, just sitting there thinking God would just do something in our lives. We are faithful in our obedience to God. But I want you guys to note another thing here in verse 12. Paul here connects the walk, the walk to God's calling. He says, to, he says he charges you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And the question that we have to be asking here is what is the connection? Because, call, because Paul does this too again in, in Ephesians chapter 1 or Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Paul does the same thing. He says, I therefore... A prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So what is the connection? What is the connection between our walk and this calling? And I think the best place to look for that is actually not necessarily in Thessalonians. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, looking at verse 9. Paul here writes, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We see here in the same exhortation to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And Paul actually describes what that walk looks like a little bit more here, right? He says it pleases the Lord, it bears fruits in our lives, and it increases our knowledge of God. This is our walk. But again, how does that connect to God calling us? What exactly is God calling us to do? What, what does God, God's call do for our walks? Look down at verse 13. Colossians 1 verse 13. It says, He, God, 
has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now if we turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see here that the call is this kingdom talk. It's this kingdom call that's directly connected to our transfer from the domain of darkness to this kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. But we have to keep in mind that this, this transfer isn't just this physical transfer, right? At least not yet. We're not in the physical kingdom. This is an identity transfer. It's a, it's a, it's a worldview transfer. It's a change of our hearts. It's, it's us living in this world, but not being of this world. We do not follow this world's philosophies. We do not follow this world's mantras. We don't follow their ideals. No, we promote something vastly different in this world. What do we promote? We, we promote what we've been hearing repeated time and time over again in First Thessalonians, the gospel of God. God has called you out of this world. But more than that, God has called you out of this world back into this kingdom. And let's keep in mind what this kingdom is. This kingdom is one that every single one of us, that's where we belong. In other words, we were created to worship God. All of us was created to worship God. But when I say all of us, not just us here in this room, every single person Created to worship God. See what I'm saying here? What I'm saying here is that what we present in the gospel is not just a choice between God and the world. Every single one of us created in the image of God, created to worship God. We're created to be in the kingdom of God, but because of sin, because people are lost and blind and enslaved in this domain of darkness, they, they are stuck. Church, we don't carry a choice for people. We carry them the only way to salvation for them. That's what this calling is. That's what this gospel is. And so we express them this tender love of a mother towards others because we are broken and hurt when we see that they're blinded by their sins. We teach them the ways of God, the message of Christ like a father, because we know this is the only way to righteousness. We walk in a manner pleasing to God, not just because we should, but because it can bring people to know that there is hope in this world, that there is a way out, that there is salvation, that there is a God who cares for them. Guys, That's what this is all about. And remember, remember that we, you, are not here alone to do this. Your church, your spiritual family is here on earth with you. We are all foreigners here. We're all exiles here waiting to return back to our home. But until then, let us exhort one another. Let us care for one another. Let us instruct one another to walk in a manner pleasing of God. Let us be spiritual mothers and fathers to one another. 
so that we can labor and toil together for the gospel. And with Christ as our head, he is the gospel. Let us continue to point people to him because we belong to his kingdom. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And as a result, we have this redemption in him alone. We belong to Christ, belong to his kingdom. So let us then continue to be his ambassadors, his church, proclaiming the gospel message and living a life worthy of the king. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that we have a gospel message that saves. Lord, this this world needs to be saved. And you have entrusted this gospel message to us. So let us be then faithful, faithful to the calling to which you have called us to, to the salvation, to be ambassadors of Christ. Let us live out this gospel message. Let us proclaim it with our lives so that others can come to know you. Lord, may we continue to remember that it's always about you, not about us that our satisfaction, our treasure, our all is in Christ alone. Be with us. Pray all this in your name. Amen.